Welcome to Finding Our Way Forward with Melissa Harris, the podcast where we ask hard questions, deconstruct harmful spiritual practices, and re-examine what it means to authentically follow Christ. Down, out in the cold, faithless and dark, your stories untold. Come take my hand and walk there with me. Welcome to Finding Our Way Forward, the podcast where we have candid conversations at the intersection of social and spiritual justice and distill what it means to belong to a healthy spiritual community. I'm your host, Melissa Harris, and I'm so excited that you have joined us for this journey. Over the next few weeks, months, and hopefully years, we will have vigorous conversation, challenge tradition, define and refine authentic worship, and learn how we can separate faith from fiction, so that we can find a place of friendship with God that is life-giving and nurturing, both spiritually and psychologically. First, a little bit about me. I live in New York City with my wife, Dina, and our four dogs. You heard that right, four dogs, uh, in New York City in an 837-square-foot apartment, which may seem small by Midwestern standards, but is ginormous in New York. Uh, Our oldest dog, uh, if you will, is eight years old. His name is Barkley. He's a little multi-poo rescue. After Barkley, we have Senora Parches in Merida, and Senora Parches is a rescue from the Yucatan Peninsula uh, in Mexico. I spent about six weeks down there uh, in the summer of 2016, and she followed me everywhere, and I did not have the heart to leave her there. So she now lives in the U.S. Uh, after Senora Parches de Merida, we have uh, Molly. And Molly is our two-year-old herding dog who is uh, an SBCA rescue. And she, we think, is a Border Collie and Schnauzer mix. And she loves to eat uh, headphones, remote controls, baseboards, uh, anything Um, basically within her reach. Uh, She is a fun dog, and people love her when she goes on walks. She looks like Snoopy, a really, really cool dog to have. And then rounding out the bunch is our newest baby, uh, Maggie May, and Maggie May is also a rescue. She's from the streets of Sacramento, California. We found her on New Year's Eve um, of 2020, right in the middle of the pandemic. And she looks like she's a multi-poo also. We're not sure what she is, but she is a little white cotton ball. Has a really cool story that uh, we'll share somewhere down the road. But that's us. That's our family here. Uh, Originally from California, lived basically under a pew, as they say, from the time I was one week old. Uh, My father was a church musician. And my mother was a homemaker. I answered the first of many altar calls uh, at the age of around nine. I went to Bible college in Oklahoma to study theology at the age of 20. And then went on to get my degree in business and agricultural economics uh, from there. I went from being a youth leader to a senior pastor by the age of 26 uh, in the charismatic circle. Uh, I began to build my staff. Uh, We founded a food bank and a free clothing effort for people experiencing homelessness along with GED programming uh, and a computer learning center. Uh, I found myself traveling eventually and preaching at conferences along people like uh, Kenneth Copeland and uh, working with Joyce Meyer Ministries. I have no idea how it happened, but I ended up 
flying in private jets and teaching at seminars, church services, and camps, things of that nature. Uh, from California to Washington, D.C., and all over Canada, Europe, Latin America, and South, South Africa. Um, really living uh, a grand lifestyle. Very unexpected in my life. But my focus and thrust the whole time was to teach people to reflect and personify uh, the love of Jesus. And that looks different to different people, but in from my perspective, uh, we really wanted to teach people and encourage people to love others practically, um, unequivocally, and unconditionally. All of that came to a screeching halt when I came out of the closet at the age of 33. I knew that I was gay all along, but because of my background in the church, I never wanted to own up to it. I uh, dated and was engaged to a couple of guys, uh, hoping that I could convert myself, if not by fasting, prayer, and being doused with olive oil, then by being in relationship uh, with males. Uh, for many of you that have walked down this road of prayer, tears, fasting, and dating people of the opposite sex, uh, you know, as well as I do, that it did not work. I uh, began to hate myself because I could not change, and I felt like a fraud. I felt like I was not uh, who I was representing myself to be. I loved God so, so uh, profoundly, and I loved people, but I also felt that I wasn't walking with integrity. So I finally owned up to who I was and came out, and all of the things I just told you about, the church, uh, the traveling and ministering at conferences, leading worship, those things, it all just stopped, and rather abruptly, within a matter of weeks. I would like to say that it was a gentle and kind process, but it was anything but. And so uh, I think I found myself in a matter of days in a very deep and dark place in a severe depression. Uh, I drove uh, through the countryside by myself and uh, ended up pulled over in a deserted parking lot and took a bottle of pills and uh, tried to kill myself. I won't say that it was a suicide attempt. I I really earnestly uh, tried to, as they say now, unalive myself. Uh, I, I had lost friends. I had lost family. I had lost my, uh, what I saw as a vocation and a calling, uh, my streams of income, everything, uh, was just over. There were, uh, newsletters, there were, um, live, uh, streaming shows. Uh, it, the, the rumor mill was going, the prayer lines and the telephone prayer trees, if you know anything about those were going. Uh, I was being told via social media and, and via direct voicemails and text message that I was going to hell and taking many people with me. And so, out of that place, fortunately, I lived. I had an amazing medical team, um, cardiologists, uh, psychiatrists, psychologists, who were able to walk me through that season of loss uh, in my life. And I know so many people in the LGBTQ community don't have uh, that opportunity even to uh, be healed, to seek healing. And, and I count myself as really fortunate uh, to have come through that. After a period of a few years searching and seeking God and learning to love myself again, learning to accept myself and who I am and who I was, um, I came to a place where I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God's love for me 
had not changed. And we can get into a scriptural basis for that later on down the road. But I could not be convinced from that point forward that God didn't know me and affirm me. Uh, and so from that, that moment uh, of healing, like I said, it took several years to walk through. Um, I started launching safe spaces for LGBTQ youth and adults, uh, starting to write programming for communities and businesses around equity, diversity, inclusion, and belonging, both professionally, spiritually, and socially, with a focus on transformative justice and uh, the work of completing my master's in clinical counseling. So why this podcast and why now? I've had people send me text messages and slide into my DMs and actually just straight out confront me and say, you're just deconstructing and decolonizing faith, doctrine, and religious ideology because you're gay. You want to confirm or affirm your beliefs because of your lifestyle. And let me tell you, that could not be further from the truth. I believe we need to define what those terms mean, deconstruction, decolonization, and these are their own podcasts. But it does not mean I don't believe. I don't believe in God or Jesus or the Holy Spirit. It only means I am examining why I believe what I believe about those entities and walking away from practices that are superfluous or harmful so that we may walk toward a spiritual practice that is authentic, healthy, and alive. And an era of deconstruction, friend, is not a global tragedy. If embraced, this pursuit of divine truth can become a wonderful inflection point in religious history. I truly believe that. And some will maintain that you can't successfully cleave Jesus from the Western church because the two are indivisible in every way. And the opponents of decolonization have actually taken offense at the thought and purport that if you try to extract one from the other, Jesus and the Holy Spirit from the church, you're in danger of damaging the foundations of our faith. I have found that in my search for truth, that this couldn't be further from the truth. It is Jesus and not any of the denominational praxis that is foundational for most believers. Jesus said he is the rock upon which all else stands. The all else, the nationalism, the racism, the greed, the intolerance, the homophobia, all of that is what is being called into question. Or more accurately, being brought up for inspection. A structure that is built upon bedrock, such as a house, uh, a skyscraper, or in this case, a religious system, can be saddled with unchecked structural faults, become damaged, riddled with mold or other noxious fumes, and it can make the habitation toxic to live in. It doesn't mean that the granite, the limestone, whatever the bedrock consists of, is toxic. And I, I'm making here this, this metaphor so we understand who Jesus is and how we can separate the personhood or the divinity of the Trinity, so to speak, from the practices of the modern Western white nationalist church. If the existing structure must be renovated or demolished, commonly the underlying rock still stands. 
I cannot put both the structure and the earth beneath it into the same category. There's false equivalence there. The two are divisible. And that's what deconstruction and decolonization attempts to do is say, what is pure? What is authentic practice? And what is toxic? All things considered, has it ever occurred, and I'm asking you this on an individual basis, has it ever occurred to you that this radical work of deconstruction is actually God's idea. And I believe it is that perhaps he is the one who wishes to protect his reputation from the slanderous claims of a dishonorable and patriarchal system. A system which profits from the assertion that the father has co-signed on this racism, Trumpism, sexism, transphobia, and capitalism. I truly believe that he has permitted us in this hour to re-examine all the doctrine that the church claims to be of Christ and in the name of Christ. And, and maybe it is that, like the gold in the refiner's fire that uh, John mentions in Revelation 3.18, that the impurities, the additives, the politics, and the pollutants that have come to define and disfigure, honestly, his body are being purged. That this isn't some dismantling of God himself, but it's a purification of all that is divine, of all that we see and know as God. He has said that he is love, he, he's pure love, that he's pure goodness, he's pure mercy. And I cannot imagine for the life of me, his need for negative revisions to his character, whether you go to the Baptist church uh, Southern Baptist specifically, or the Episcopalian, the Methodist, the charismatic evangelical church, you'll find all of these different representations of who God is. And not only different representations of who God is, but you will find different rules to follow. You will find different man-made constructs around what it means to worship God, what it means to sin, what it means to be in correct relationship and community with those around you and with the outside world. And one person, let's just call her Jane Smith, can go from congregation to congregation to congregation. She can walk into a Catholic church and find different rules being enforced than she would find, per se, in a Pentecostal church. And years and decades and centuries and uh, really, honestly, millennia of different layered thoughts and dogma. And so in the search to clear out the fog and in the search to purify our relationship and purify our worship, we see this, at least from my perspective, that that God remains an unchanging fountain of life-giving power. If you strip all else away, he is infinite wisdom he is infinite power. I, I, I find that God is still glorious, that he is still good. And most germane to this discussion, I believe that, that God is still truth. In a world of deceptive practices, in a world of toxic theology, that God is still truth. And because he's truth, he doesn't pander for or require inaccurate portrayals, reflections, or representations of his persona. 
by a cast of understudies who are more interested in increasing their capital through the prosperity gospel than they are in advancing his kingdom. And we'll get into the specifics of that on a different podcast altogether. But when all else has been tested, I believe that the idea and the person of God will remain steady, uncontaminated, unoffended. And you know, truth, when you challenge it, doesn't take offense. The truth is not lessened by our questions. The truth doesn't become reduced to nothing just because it has been dissected. It still, if it is the truth, it still stands at the end of the day. And so I'm asking you to come along with me in this epistemological pursuit, if you will, in this study around the theory of knowledge and how we know what we think we know. How did we come to those conclusions? Why do we believe what we believe? And at the end of the day, really the question is, who told us what we believe? Who conveyed that knowledge? From what lens or from what narrative was that story told? And why was it told to us? Deconstruction is not, not a search to tear down God. It is to deconstruct all that taints the pure knowledge of God. And so as we move forward, I believe in the core of who I am that we who love Christ can choose to courageously clean up our soiled witness and rely on him to help us find a better way forward. You know, John says in chapter 8, verse 32, that we shall know. Again, there is the nod to epistemology. We shall know the truth, not guess at the truth or be told that by our grandpa's preacher or our mama or Aunt Shaquita in them, right? We shall know the truth. And the truth is what will make us free in our relationship with God and how we relate to other people, right? And so in this pursuit of knowledge, we're going to discuss some things that may make us uncomfortable. We're going to peel back the layers of the onion and question some things. Because so much of what the Western Evangelical Nationalist Church believes today is rooted in hearsay, mistranslation, and misunderstanding. And a lot of the harm that is being perpetuated causes religious trauma that takes years of undoing by a qualified psychotherapist. I'm not talking about a Christian counselor, friends. I'm talking about deep-seated trauma that is enacted not only in the LGBTQ plus community, but upon spiritual communities at large by people who are not qualified to counsel others. But when you look at all of these these harms that are being perpetuated, all of these biases that are being upheld, honestly, it's time for us to question some things. And I've had people tell me that it is not faith, it is not faithful to question anything that the Bible says. And they take a high view, a traditional view of scripture and says, we must accept the word of God as inerrant, as infallible, as immutable. And while I'm not here to agree nor to disagree with those statements, what I am saying is that at the root of the Judeo-Christian system is the concept of questioning. And in one of six trips to Israel I've taken, 
I learned that the Orthodox Jews encourage questioning. They don't try to quell it or, or squelch it. In the Western church, we say, well, you don't have faith. You're doubting if you question things. In the true Jewish religion, questioning is an integral part of their spiritual journey. In the Western church, by contrast, a sort of blind obedience is expected. And I I will say that those Jewish roots of Christianity demand that we question what we think we know and also how we know it. Deconstructing your faith is not antithetical to knowing God. In fact, it is requisite. There's an Austrian-born Nobel laureate, a physicist, uh, who taught at Columbia University, and his name is Isidore Rabbi. He is of the Jewish faith. And he uh, said this really cool statement where he said, when I came home from school back in the day, my mom would never ask me, what did you learn today? Right? Because that would elicit a very static and concrete response. She would only ask, Issy, did you ask any good questions? And that's what we're here to do. We're here to ask good questions in that search for knowledge. You know, and children questioning rules and traditions that you expect them to automatically follow is a sign of intelligence. It's not a sign that that child is troubled. And we need to collectively lose the idea that unquestioned obedience is a sign of goodness or success. No, that is just a person who has never learned to think for themselves. And children who grow up to not think for themselves become very easy to manipulate by patriarchal systems. Right, And so we want to encourage questioning here uh, at A Better Way Forward. God has never compelled instant and immediate uh, subservience. Moses at the burning bush, he demands of God a personal name, and, and God says, I am. And, no, God, and Moses comes back to him and says, but who is I am? And, and God comes back to him again and says, I am that I am. And so while Moses is... is is contending with God, saying, you're not giving me enough information. He's questioning his his very identity. And why is that? Because a nameless God is inaccessible, if not non-existent. If we experience God in Catholicism, per se, then that is how we perceive or experience God. He's a Catholic God. If we grow up in a liturgical setting, we tend to hear God through the liturgy. If we grew up in the Pentecostal church, as I did, we begin to experience God through the lens of Pentecostalism. We feel him through the tambourine, right? We feel him through the organ music. There has been a way for for centuries and millennia to present God that's more palatable to certain demographics. The question then that I want to leave you with then is not, is God real? I personally don't feel that is up for debate. It may be for some of you. But my question is, is our expression of God representative of God? I hope that you'll stick with me and the guests, the psychologists, the thought leaders, the influencers, the theologians and the seminarians and some friends and really cool family members um, as we share our thoughts, as we dig down deep, And I do hope you know that it's never too late to change your stance. Change happens all around us every day, every moment. And some people are threatened by change. 
because change is scary. And they feel that change is somehow a threat to their safety, to their existence, to their livelihood. But I pray today that God gives us all the courage to do the hard work, that he lights our way forward, and that as we explore the topics that we uh, are going to up ahead, that we find clarity, that we find peace, and that we find a sacred space with the Creator. So, until next time, I am Melissa Harris, and this is A Better Way Forward.